a little ditty about Jake, Wives, and Dina. <laughs> that was amazing. I actually built out additional verses, but Clay told me they were awful, so I cut them. <laughs> Honestly, short and sweet. But yeah. also, I'm sure the additional verses were just rocking. Honestly, they were gold, yeah. but I'll save them for when we do our Christmas album. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Holy Spirits, the podcast where you might be going to heaven, but we won't be. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that was backwards. Well, was but it? We're not going to heaven, but you might be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to keep it. that in, though. Yeah, All I mean, right. that's fine. That's fine. We're that's not good. going to heaven, but you Holy Spirits. <laughs> <laughs> Take two. <laughs> No, that was perfect. Welcome to the podcast, (laughs) where Tara took over and doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. (laughs) We are on Apple Podcasts, we are on SoundCloud, we are on Spotify, we are on TuneIn, we are on Google Podcasts, we are on Stitcher, we are on every fucking platform now. Justin, who has been promoted to our new social media manager... Yeah. Baby Justin has expanded us to basically every fucking podcast platform under the sun. If you want to listen to us, you now can. If anyone doesn't want to listen to us, they now have to. It's a beautiful <laughs> time to be alive. But we did want to take this opportunity to also grovel for your ratings. Please rate, review, and subscribe and let your friends know about the podcast. That's the best way that we can grow now that we are able to grow on these various platforms. We want people to listen to us and to hear the things that we say. And we want people to join us in our uh, extended family that we're building here. Excellent. Amen. Amen. That's all I can say. Also, my name's Mike. I'm Tara. I'm Heather. And this is Holy Spirit, the podcast (laughs) where you might be going to heaven or we're not going to heaven. <laughs> Something's happening in heaven. Something is happening. Someone's going to show up in heaven. But we're not going there. No. That's that's the basic. Also, we are on episode, I believe, fourteen. Is this is what we're recording? I don't know the introduction. To, <laughs> to be fair, it's been a rough year. It has been a rough year. We called it out on episode thirteen that episode thirteen was the first time I did the introduction correctly. After 13 fucking tries. So be kind to yourself. All right. Well, I'll see you on episode 27. <laughs> where oh, I, might... I mean, we're good. We're good. Yeah. It's all good. Yep. All right, guys. So if you haven't picked up, I unfortunately have made everyone agree to letting me do this. And I have real strong feelings about this topic. And I'm really excited for it. And I'm just going to jump into it. Oh, but first, before we do that, (laughs) before we do that, we are going to talk about the Holy Spirits of the day, which is nothing but the greatness of the the soothing spectacle of wine. Mm -hmm. Jesus' blood, man. Spectacle. I'm not sure why I called it a spectacle, but it's fucking good. It's amazing. It's fucking great. It's amazing. And first of all, I need to call out that since we've gone to recording remotely 
due to COVID precautions, we really have not figured out the way to do this recording with actual cameras on. And I'm losing it with the camera option (laughs) right now. Do you want me to turn the camera off? I don't. It's actually great for me. But I, who am a grown-ass adult, just had a birthday where I'm in my 30s. It's like not even like a baby 30. I'm in it like Flynn. Do not have proper wine glasses. Don't want them. Don't want them. I don't have space for them. I don't want to store them. I don't want them. And so I'm drinking my wine out of a hey, good looking cup straight from a good Target. So hey, good looking. What you got cooking? Blueberry wine, to be exact. Nice. How is the blueberry wine? I cannot find it. I should have had Clay get me a bottle. I'm going to Aldi tomorrow. I'll grab you some. Great. Yeah, the blueberry wine's good. Um, I like it because I don't like really the taste of wine. I actually think it tastes like burnt grapes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I prefer to have the extra sweetness of a false flavor. The watermelon wine was good. It made it taste like a Jolly Rancher. Well, and Heather's drinking a different fruit wine. I am drinking pineapple wine from Aldi as well. (laughs) Which, by the way, love pineapples. Love the concept. Never tried it. Never tried blueberry wine either. It's really good. I'm thinking we need to mix it with a bunch of fruit because it, it's very sangria-like, I think probably with any of the fruit wine, but it's really good. And I am drinking it out of my stemless wine glass with a golden H on it. And Heather keeps fucking holding it up like an influencer where she holds it up to the camera and then puts her hand behind it as if that's going to give us better contrast. Well, you need to see my age, my, my beautiful age. And... I am drinking wine classic, wine original, wine as Jesus knew it, grape wine, red wine, Cabernet Sauvignon. Ooh, so fancy. Was it in a bottle or a box? A bottle, bitch. Okay, I thought you were going to say box, and I was actually super pumped for it. (laughs) Okay. Are you guys drunk enough to go on this ride with me? I have literally been drinking all day, so let's fucking rock and roll. So ready. So ready. All right. So I actually had a strong interest in the story because I was gifted the red tint by my sister one Christmas. My sister notoriously picks out books for me by just looking at the cover because she doesn't read and she just really likes pretty things. But she can read, can't she? It honestly is a little bit of a question i'm assuming so because she did get through college as like a double major um chemistry biology something something mm-hmm. so i'm assuming that she had to do I'm thinking something she can read yeah mm-hmm. so the entire time that i read this book i kept like shoving clay like awake at night and being like clay clay is this like what the bible's like is this like is should i read the bible is this like really what is happening <laughs> And while a good deal of it did not, in fact, happen in the Bible, it was like my gateway drug on asking people about the stories that were in the Bible, because honestly, these ladies had some drama, and it just really, like, spoke to me. Love it. So, although we touched it on the last episode, I am going to do a little bit of a recap of some of the things that we talked about, just because I feel like I want to make sure that you guys remember them, and they're at the top of everyone's mind. So... Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and as you may remember, Jacob was infatuated with Rachel and wanted to marry her almost from first sight. To earn her hand, he worked for seven years for her father, who I believe is named, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Laban? Laban? Close enough. All right. Laban. I'm going to go with that. I just rings off. Who was Jacob's mom, Rebecca's brother. 
So Laban is his uncle, and he is married to a woman named Medina, who is auntie. And when the time came to marry, he was tricked into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. After the week-long wedding festivities, (laughs) (laughs) Jacob ended up marrying Rachel anyway, but he had to promise Laban another seven years of work to earn her hand. All in all, it was a great start to married life. (laughs) Well, and it's worth saying, too, I do want to point out, just to be nasty, that like a big part of the reason why he ended up marrying Leah was because he ended up having sex with Leah by accident because Laban swapped them out at the last minute. Like there was a real sexual bait and switch in there too that made it impossible for him to not be married to Leah. Right. But they didn't have sex until after they were married, right? Wasn't her face still covered? Yeah. Yeah. The whole covering and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Rachel and Leah, let's go into a little bit of their biographical moments. So in Leah and Rachel are sisters, obviously, but in some texts, they're also spoken to being possible twins as well. In Rabbinic texts, which is basically the mainstream form of Judaism since about 6th century, it mentions how Leah is destined to marry Esau and Rachel is to marry Jacob. In the same text, Jacob and Esau are essentially described as opposites. Jacob is the younger, godly scholar, while Esau is the elder, brawny hunter who believes in... Now I keep fucking up this word, Mike. In the a million times that I made Clay listen to me, he, I'm pretty sure, was banging his head against the wall. Idol, idol tree? Idolatry. Idolatry. It's like, I don't know why that's so hard for me. Idolatry. Okay, so Esau is the elder brawny hunter who believes in idolatry, the worship of a statue or person as if they were a god versus worshiping the god. And Leah is distraught over the fact that she's promised to such a brute. So she spends her days crying and praying for a change to her future and to not be promised to such a brutish man who doesn't even believe in a true God. In turn, she's described in the Bible as having tender eyes, which many argue to mean as weary from all the tears. And since God is such a caring soul, he decided that she had cried and prayed so much that he would allow Leah to marry Jacob first before Rachel. So Laban's not the asshole. God's the asshole who told Laban to switch him out. I love that story too, because it's very, it's the perfect example of how a lot of rabbinical texts and Christian texts do this a lot too with later Bible stories. But there are two brothers, we have Jacob and Esau. And as as you say, they're two opposites, right? Because Jacob is the bookish gay one. And Esau is like the masculine hunter one. And there are two daughters with, uh, with Leah and Rachel. And they at least are in the Bible opposed based on their looks, right? Because Rachel is the beautiful one who Jacob is in love with. And Leah is kind of the average looking one. And how the duality of the brothers meets the duality of the sisters. Because the rabbinical texts kind of fill in a gap, a natural parallel that the Bible has. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, well, there must be a story here because there's no way that these numbers are just so coincidentally similar to each other. Totally. Absolutely. I mentioned before the ruse occurs and Leah gets to be wife numero uno while Rachel is going to be wife number two. And obviously the favorite, she's described to be beautiful and lovely in form, but God sees the fact that Leah is getting the short end of the stick and blesses her with an open womb. She immediately almost pops out four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And even though Leah has done the most valuable thing that a woman can do during the time, given a man some sons, Rachel is still the butter to Jacob's bread. 
Rachel gets to sit at the prominent wife spot. She gets Mm. to share the most nights in bed with him and overall just bask in the joy of Jacob. However, Rachel's not happy. Mm -hmm. And since she has no sons and Leah has them all, basically Rachel's not happy. She wants some goddamn sons and she wants them now. And I just want to talk about for a second that Leah is just truly getting the shit into the stick. And she didn't want to go to Esau, who's like this manly hunter and everything. And she wanted to be with Jacob, who's basically not even treating her well. But she's like, but I really want him. And I'm going to cry about it. Like, honestly, like, cry me a fucking river, bitch. But like, whatever. She's she's with Jacob. She's going to be wife number one, but always be second to Rachel. So <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm honestly over because it feels like Leah was like I'm clearly going to be unhappy with Esau the more happy option that I could choose is to be with Jacob and then she ends up with Jacob and she's like oh being a woman sucks she's miserable yeah 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 honestly being a wife sucks Mm -hmm. is basically what she just ends up with she's like wait a second yeah maybe the patriarchy sucks yeah patriarchy it always goes back to that Mm So basically Rachel's upset and she goes, hey, husband, I have this handmaid over here. How about I let you tumble in the sheets with her for a little bit? She gets pregnant and then I can just raise those kids as my own. And Jacob's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, sure. If that's that's what you want to do. I'm cool. Happy wife, happy life. Sure. And then Leah's like, wait a fuck. I don't have to have sex with you. I can just give you a handmaid and you'll have some babies with her and I can still get the child count to be closer to God and through having more babies and so she's like here's mine take mine too so enter to the stage bilha and zilpa and to me in the versions of the text that i was reading this is when things get a little more dramatic with the family tree Mm -hmm. so as i mentioned before the mommy of leah and rachel was adina and she was married to laban when doing my research Bilha and Zilpa are always considered to be sisters, but in some of the texts, they're also considered to be the half-sisters of Leah and Rachel. Basically, Laban had a concubine that gave him these two daughters, and then these daughters were basically then to serve his daughters by his wife, Adina. So, if we stick with that line of thought, uh, Leah and Rachel offer up their handmaids to Jacob so that as to adopt children of theirs so that they can therefore increase their child count. They are also essentially staying within their own bloodline and adopting their nephews. Bill and Zilpa each have two sons apiece, Dan and Naphtali, and Gad and Asher. So basically my point to that is that it is more of like a clear bloodline. So they're not like adding and mixing the bloodlines. Okay, so it's still technically part of Laban's line. Yep, still part of Laban's line. Um, but not, but basically they were then not adopted into the child count with Adina. They were just literally like, kind of like, I guess you could say bastards. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. Their children are taken away to be raised by someone else. Yeah. But I mean, in the same instance, it's kind of like they are still around because they're there to serve the family. So it's just kind of like they get to be like nanny. I guess to them. Yeah, so it feels it feels kind of like if you have children with your handmaid, they can either be servants who are like attached to the family, so it's still kind of cushy servants, but servants nonetheless. Or you can be like, but they are our bloodline, so we can make them 
heirs in some meaningful way. Like it's kind of exactly. however you want them to be because handmaids are kind of give or take. Exactly. Um, okay. So Jacob has his two wives and these two handmaids that he's basically taking on as concubines. So through them, he has eight children, four with Leah, two with Bilha, and two with Zilpa. Rachel is still considered the favorite, even though she has no children of her own, and they're all still living on the home that they shared on the dad's land. Life's pretty freaking great. Uh, Jacob is doing really well. We had that whole thing where he was getting like the flock really built out. Mm. Things were really just coming up Jacob in things. And he was taking all the speckled lambs. Anything that was speckled was coming out his. But then even Laban's white on white lambs were, or white on white sheep was still coming out with speckled lambs. So he was ending up Right, because of of like a God's blessings that were happening. Right. So, I mean, Jacob's just like, honestly don't understand why he's not happy in Laban's land because he's just constantly doing great. Um, but things have kind of stood still. We're, we're at the eight children. Nothing's really happening. So Reuben, Leah's first son, goes out and is walking around and kind of just, you know, sown his oat in the wilderness. And he comes back with a handful of mandrakes for his mom. And he's like, Mom, you know, mandrakes are used for fertility you should take some so that way you can give dad some more kids. And Rachel's like, hey, hey, sister, I'd really like those roots and I'll give you my nights with Jacob. So Leah agrees and sleeps with Jacob that night, conceiving Isaac, Isaac Carr, Isaac Char? Isaacar. Isaacar. Sounds great. Isaacar, who's son number nine, and then follows up with Zebulun, son number 10, and then her, the only daughter, Dina is how I pronounce it. Dina, Dina. I say Dina, but... Dina? Let's stick with Dina. Okay. I think Dina's prettier. So, they have their only daughter, Dina. Rachel's still barren, and she's like, what the fuck does one have to do around here to have a kid in this land? So, she prays, she knocks on God's door, and she's like, my man, what do I have to do to get a baby in this womb? And then God responds like, oh shit, Rachel, you're still around and you don't have a baby? (laughs) I thought he left you by now. Oh, I forgot about you. Yeah. But I remember. So, like, go ahead and have a child. So then she gets her womb opened up, and she gets pregnant with Joseph, who becomes Jacob's favorite child. So Joseph's been born, and Jacob's like, you know what? Fuck Laban. I'm going to go home to Canaan. It's time. I've got my favorite kid. It's time. So Michael spoke to this in the last episode, again, to recap. When they are leaving, Rachel decides to steal her father's idols because she he had failed to pay out their inheritance. So seeing that his idols are missing, Laban went chasing them out of town, which in my eyes, he just like jumps on a goat or something and just like rides out <laughs> of his camp and is like, here I come. I pictured a camel. <laughs> I mean, I just pictured, I guess it should have been sheep or something. I just yeah. pictured like one of his livestock. Like he wasn't well off enough to have like horses. Okay, first of all, we we know that Laban is pretty rich based on the amount of sheep yeah. that he has. I know, that's true. So he a camel would probably be his beast of burden, if not a donkey. Mm. Donkey! Never thought about donkey. Let's go donkey. Laban and his ass. Donkey works because he's an ass. Yeah, yeah. Laban and his yep, ass. Yep. Laban and his ass. So he goes, you know running out of town and he's like hey motherfucker somebody took my idol and he confronts them and jacob's like listen with whoever you find your gods he will not live and basically he signs that curse on to rachel 
Well, and it's worth saying, too, he does not know that Rachel has the idol. No, but was also was saying that he totally fucked over his favorite wife. But he didn't know that he fucked her over. Right, but who just throws curses out willy-nilly? Yeah. It's a dick move, whoever Very you... dangerous. Well, he never thought that she would have taken it. Obviously, you need to know your wives better. Mm -hmm. Clay would always know if I'd stolen something. That is true. Yeah, he'd be like, that was Tara. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sticky-fingered Rachel, you know That's how fuck... such a Tara move. Yeah, yeah. she took yeah. your idols. Yeah. Clay would know 100%. He'd be like, mm, he would have lied for me, but he wouldn't have... He wouldn't have cursed you. Know, you. He wouldn't have thrown out a curse willy-nilly. That's true. Mm. What if it had been one of his sons? What if it was Joseph? He doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't have enough information to be throwing out curses like that. What if one of yeah. the grandkids was like, oh, I'm going to play with this. And it was like, time to go, Issachar. And Issachar was like, oh, shit. And he like puts it yeah. in his pocket real fast. Either way, it was 100% irresponsible for him to just be like, fuck whoever did that. Mm -hmm. And now they're cursed to death. Also, why couldn't it be like you're cursed to, you know, have, you know, a, a hangnail Stub your for toe. 10 years? Yeah, something like that. Like, why does it have to be death? Like, these people just really go to the extreme. Okay, but... Again, the idol is probably an extremely important part of Laban's life, and the uh, quote-unquote idolatry that that a lot of people had at this time. Like, it's very common for ancient cultures to literally view the statue as the presence of a god. Like, it is, totally. it's like God can't oh. hear him anymore, and it's because someone took this. And whether or not they meant it, it's a very big deal. Again... Totally. However, death seems a little extreme. And also, it's a little bit like Jacob doesn't believe in it. And they make fun of the idolatry the whole time because they're trying to convert people to their God. So to put so much extremeness on these idols to curse somebody, I just felt like was very irresponsible. Well, they're not converting people yet. But either way, well, they should have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So he curses Rachel, and then they continue on. We wrestle an angel. They finally meet up with Esau. And then Esau was like, hey, let's ride together. We'll go to Israel together. But for reasons unknown, they don't talk about it in the Bible, Jacob decided to divert and head towards Succoth instead. <laughs> so, Me too. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Succoth? I mean, only on Valentine's Day. Yeah, <laughs> only on Valentine's Day. Not, no, I've been married too long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so I, I literally Googled the fuck out of this, and I swear to God, if if you know this out of your brain, Mike, I'm going to, like, might slash your tires a little bit. But they say that they're going towards Succoth, but then they arrive in Shitchum? 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 Shechem. In Shechem. I don't know. Is Shechem in Succoth? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Either way, we arrive in Shechem. Is that what we decided Shechem. on? Shechem. 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 I think Shechem. it's technically Shechem. 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 Okay. So, we get to Shechem, and Jacob buys some land and settles his family down for a while. The wives and Jacob and their 11 sons and one daughter are all living blissfully in Shechem. So being a young woman in a household of brothers, Dina was understandably looking for some female friends. We wanted some girlfriends. We wanted somebody to hang with. We were kind of sick of the dick all mm -hmm. around. Um, and moms weren't really playing the part of like a good girlfriend. 
Which is interesting, by the way, because there are four moms in question. You have moms galore to choose from. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would still want some friends. So Moms just don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's just too much authority. Mm -hmm. We needed to go and get into a little bit of trouble. So Dina was like, yo, I'm going to go to town and I'm going to go see if I can visit some women of the land. So they're all like, cool, Dina, go. Like, be by yourself. That sounds like a great time for you. So she goes into town. She meets a young, dashing prince by the name of, you guessed it, Shechem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the same of the town. Who, Shechem was the son of Hamer, the ruling prince of the land. So Shechem is dazzled by the beauty of Dina, and he takes her and lays with her and humbles her. Mm. And his son was drawn to her. He loved the maiden and spoke tenderly to her. Sorry, he he takes her and humbles her? Yeah. Well, I'll get into like what people what historians say. But basically I take that as like they had sex together and like basically like I don't know, made a woman out of her, kind of, like, took away her, like, childness. Childhood virginity. Yeah. And the circumstances of that are nondescript at this point? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yep. Um, and in the Bible, that's, like, legit what they say. They don't go into any more descriptions. It's just that he takes with her and lays with her and humbles her. And that he was drawn to her, he loved her, and he spoke tenderly to her. So all in all, it sounds like it was like a nice relationship. It doesn't sound, nothing in those texts sound like this was negative or anything of that nature. Yeah, it can't be hostile by the sound of it, or at least he didn't intend for it to be hostile, is how it reads. Yeah. I feel like there's really something to be said about like this, him speaking tender words to her, where he, you know, makes a woman out of her, etc., I feel like that's interestingly ambiguous from the modern perspective in a way that it wouldn't have been before because, you know, the idea that he spoke tender words to her implies that he had affection for her Mm -hmm. and that in an older kind of sensibility, having affection for her would mean that he respected her literally at all, which is a real big hurdle at that Mm -hmm. point. But by the modern perspective, there's kind of this idea of like, he thought that he was being really sweet and he was trying to make her happy, but she was not fucking playing, but she couldn't say no either because she didn't have enough power in the society. So I feel like there's a, there's a newer perception of the ambiguity of that text based on the way that we acknowledge the women are people now compared yeah. to the way that we used to. We being, yeah. you know. Interesting take. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go more the romantic route. Mm-hmm. Of that he just really, really fucking was into this chick. And, like, he just loved her and wanted her. And so after he had his way with her, and he then called his daddy and was like, listen, we have to make this happen. I want her, and I want her now. So he sends Hamer to go secure the marriage of himself and Dina. So Jacob and Hamer meet, and basically Hamer is like, listen these kids are in love. Let's let them marry. Let's be a family. I see you have a lot of sons. My land has a lot of women. Let's make a deal here. You give me your daughter. I'll give you free access to all the daughters of my land. You stay, you make a home. We can live happily ever after. 
Seriously, though, what is the bride price? Because I will pay anything. And do we know the status that Hamer and his sons have at this point? Hamer's the prince of the land. So he seems to be relatively wealthy. Yeah, he is like, he is the leader of the land. They, um, Jacob and his family can't live on this land without his say so. So, like, Shechem, what did I, what are we doing? Shechem. 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 Shechem is going to be like the leader after Hamer is gone. Like, so is basically she would be marrying into the most powerful family of the land. Mm -hmm. And they, by default, would also be the most powerful. But Jacob takes this offer and he's like, I need to go speak to my boys because they're the, you know, Dina's our property as a family. So I need to go talk to my sons. And the bros were like, what the fuck? He already fucked Dina and did the nasty? Like, what the fuck are we going to do about this? Because this is not acceptable. And so they go back and they're like, we're going to ask for the most unthinkable thing that we think that there's no way will happen because there's no way that Dina could be loved enough to have this happen. And they ask for all the men in the city to be circumcised. And because true love prevails, she Shechem and Hamer agree and all the men in the land are circumcised. And so everyone from the young, sweet baby boys up to the old men who are probably 300 years old because the Bible's weird <laughs> and has and age has no number, <laughs> all have to get circumcised. That is a lot of dick guillotine. Yeah. That's a lot of, it's, it's a thing to get done. Okay? It's a lot of foreskin. And this is where I'm going to take a second and get a little personal because I have a son. Heather has two and not also that's not two also she actually has two, two um, um, and I don't know Heather I think maybe we've talked about it a little bit we have talked about this yeah choosing to circumcise my son was I mean until I was giving birth to him was still on the table for me if I didn't know what to do because of how brutal it is to do it is just insane the blood that's involved with it the 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 changing to appendages that have to happen <laughs> the the pain level that they go through and I understand that they're at such a young age that they don't necessarily remember it or anything like that but also the amount of complications that truly happen with circumcisions every year are way larger amount than anybody ever speaks about. And it's just the idea of doing that to, to children that aren't infants, let alone teenagers, men, elderly, freak me the fuck out. Just it's, it's painful and grotesque to me. So this whole thing is just bizarre to me. But I also respect that it was their way of basically trying to say, you need to accept our culture and basically become like us in order for you to earn the hand of my daughter and sister. When Tara and I were talking about it, I mean, I had my sons so long ago, I honestly didn't even think about it. It's just what was done. It's just how you do it. Everyone was doing it. And um, when Tara and I were talking about it, I mean, it's basically genital mutilation. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I would have really thought about it, I think I would have had cause for concern as well. But. I mean, my mom said that they didn't even make it an option for her in the hospital. 
like that it was culturally in our hospital systems all men were done especially because I mean it's I feel like hospitals are getting away from it a little bit more now but so many hospitals back then were privately owned and were a lot of times um you know catholic or certain types of you know christianity based hospitals where religion was so much involved in it and it was just kind of very whitewashed across the hospital systems that this is what you do you just mm-hmm. circumcise boys yeah I honestly don't even remember being asked or consulted about it. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people that I talked to, they didn't get offer. And so like when I went to go talk to my mom about it, she was like, no, you have to, like you have to. And I was like, no, my doctor's truly asking me to, to make this decision. And I don't, I'm scared. Like, how do I do this? I mean, it's a big decision. I mean, it is. And you know, there are lots of other factors of like, how will your kid interact with anyone who sees like I remember when I was in college I took a class on human sexuality and in the textbook they had an uncircumcised penis and my roommate was like what's wrong with that one and I was like yeah it's it's uncircumcised and he's like oh I've never I've never seen one before like I've never Mm -hmm. had occasion to see one before and that that you know can be in middle school and high school like a thing I know that um the teacher of that class said I had my son circumcised because his father is circumcised and it seemed like the easier, more um, kind of traditional thing to do mm-hmm. where it, it looks like his dad's does. And mm-hmm. that, you know, made sense for us. That's the only reason I really did it was mm-hmm. because Clay just was like, I want to, to be able to when, I, you know, I'm having talks with my son and like, I don't want him to feel like we're not the same, mm-hmm. you know? And I just wanted to respect that since I knew that Clay was probably going to be the one having most of the conversations mm-hmm. that men have throughout their lives. It's typically with their father. I wanted to make that as comfortable as possible because I do feel like those conversations are so important. Yeah. And I mean, it, like, I think that one of the most important frames to put it in, especially for this particular conversation, is around the fact that with Abraham part of Yahweh's stipulation for having a lasting relationship with Abraham that would endure many, many generations, you know, in which Abraham's descendants would outnumber the stars. Part of that agreement, part of the, um, part of the signs of that agreement was circumcision and Jewish people were known for circumcision famously throughout the ancient world And there were many other societies that came into contact with Jewish people, like the Romans, who thought circumcision was fucking weird, who did not understand it at all. But the Jewish people understand it as a cultural and religious sign of their Jewishness and of their connection to God. And that that has really been their motivating factor for centuries. It has been so many centuries that that has been a continued practice. And so... I think that it is also a kind of um, question of what is the justification for this? What is the meaning of this for yourself and for your children? And, you know, exactly to what extent do you understand this to be a relationship with God or to be a relationship with your culture um, compared to just a thing that people do? Yeah, no, yeah. so true. And I just don't feel like the conversations happen anymore. It's just like, oh, you do it. So, um, okay. And then the other thing that I wanted is that in the Bible, it doesn't talk about who's doing the circumcision to all these men in this land. Mm. 
And I just feel like that is like, if all the men had to do it, is it like just one guy did it and then like at the end had to do his own? Like, because I can't imagine that like a woman had to do it or was like Jacob and his sons doing it? Like, did they fly in? Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where the logistics of the Bible are suddenly very yeah. questionable because it's like, yeah. yeah, how did this happen? Uh, or it might have been that Jacob did them all. Like, maybe Jacob yeah. charged a fee or something. Yeah. All right. So, anyway. So, everyone's been circumcised. And on the third day of healing, the men of Shechem, Shechem himself. Shechem. 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 The men of Shechem and Shechem himself and even his daddy Hamer are all laying around and tending to their wounded dicks. And they're just in so much pain that they can't move. So, I'm just picturing, like, you're... Like laying by the pool, everyone in like sun chairs with like their dicks out and just being like, "Oh my god, like, you better be fucking amazing." Who has the bag of frozen peas? Yeah. Yes, yes, but also like infection rates were surely very high. Mm-hmm. How- I said the exact same thing to Clay. I said, considering how many children have abnormalities with their penises because of circumcisions gone wrong, how the fuck are you telling me that they just did a whole, like, you know, population of men and <laughs> didn't have extreme turnover? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like... It's a yeah. legitimate question. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, and also, can we talk about like what they were doing if there were none because obviously there had to be some yawa action jacob had penicillin mm-hmm. yeah, yeah exactly exactly so um they're all laying around they can barely move because they're in so much pain and seeing that all the men are otherwise distracted simeon and levi took their swords and just murdered all the men in the city including shechem and hamer and then they just stole dina and they were like, come with us, sister. And before leaving, they then went and plundered through the entire city, taking all the wealth, all their little ones, and all their wives that were in the houses and went home to Jacob. Basically, Simeon and Levi are dicks. Uncircumcised dicks. <laughs> or infected circumcised dicks. I'm not sure which one. Either way, they're bad. Certainly not Christian-like. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, so there's a couple things that they don't speak to in the Bible that I have huge questions on. One, because Shechem did everything that Jacob said, were they, Dina and him, in fact married before um, Simeon and Levi went on their murdering bit? And two, how did Dina feel about all this? Neither one are ever addressed in the Bible. So all the men are dead. Simeon and Levi come in with just bags of cash thrown over their shoulder. Their sister freaking out behind them. And basically, up until now, this is how the story was told in the Red Pen. Of course, I'm just thinking of it as the modern perspective. But yeah, like Dina, I would be pissed. One, like, why does why does Shechem have to prove his love to me? I already know that he loves me. And I love him. Isn't that good enough? I mean, but, you know, then I have to think, well, she's property. And, you know, they had sex before they were married. And so the brothers are like, that's not cool. So we have to get him. I mean, it just seems also ridiculous. You know, they loved each other. Shechem did everything that was asked. And then they were still assholes. I mean, what was the point? 
Why, why did they do all this? Just yeah, why because get them circumcised? why do any of it? Did, did they not believe that Shechem loved her enough that she, did they not think that Dina was lovable, you know, or did they just look at her as property? Like you messed with my property. So now we have to demolish you. It's just, it, it just all seems so ridiculous when yeah. it seemed it seemed very consensual and it seemed like they both loved each other they both cared about each other Hamer did the right thing by going to Jacob you know asking for Dina's hand in marriage to his son saying we'll do anything you know we can you know you can come onto my land it was all very civil yeah yeah and then i just i just i just don't get it why <laughs> Yeah, there doesn't seem to be um, a payment out of the action that seems to outweigh the payment that they are already receiving. Like to use the whole idea that like circumcision is a you know a sign of to really show your your love for Yahweh. Like you just got a whole land to be mm-hmm. circumcised. Like wouldn't you think that that counts towards their numbers mm-hmm. of followers? And that's like what God would always want is to have you know more people believing His word. And so, yeah, no, I, I truly agree. Like everything that I was reading, it, do, it just doesn't make it sound like there was really any end game that was going to be better mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. letting Dina at least go live with a man who seemed to be respectful of her. Mm-hmm. And I have such issue with people doing these things in, I assume they were doing them in the name of the Lord. I don't know, but I have such. Not necessarily, but yes. But I mean, okay, even if not, that's not the lord's way correct i mean we're i don't know was this complicated question are we in are we still in we're still in old testament we're still in old testament we're still in genesis okay all right okay this makes sense then so like, god oh. god is much more vengeful and god yeah. is much more in the old testament especially but particularly in genesis god is much more like the gods of assyria and babylon and at one point ancient greece we're talking ancient 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 and that God is a little bit more like, fuck you, my people, than he is like peace and love for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking much more World War II God than 60s hippie God. I just find such issue with it that they they felt the need to do all this because... I mean, take out the God part of it. I feel like it's just ta- toxic masculinity. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Like, I, I just felt like it was honestly a just a you touched my toy, mm-hmm. I'm going to fuck everything up. Yeah. Type yeah. Thing. I'm going to destroy you. Yeah. Well, and my question is very much, uh, especially because to be clear, does the text say that it's the circumcision that makes them available to be killed? It says that that is, that they were so basically in pain that they were not able to fight or anything yeah they were because in my view i think that the relationship between jacob and his sons is simeon and levi right i think that that relationship seems to be unspoken um it feels like simeon and levi kind of were thinking about ways that they could weaken the the people around shechem Oh yeah, so totally premeditated. And and Jacob seems to be like, oh yeah, no, like we'll we, we can figure something out, boys. What do you think would be a good cost so that they can so that Shechem can marry Dina and Simeon and Levi are like, uh, why don't they all get circumcised? And Jacob's like, oh yeah, Yahweh will love that. 
why don't you guys all get circumcised? And then Jacob finds out that Simeon and Levi were doing that so that they would be weak enough to kill. You know what I mean? Like nothing like that seems to have been said. Uh, But it's interesting because, you know, um, Hamor? Hamor. Hamer, I said yeah. Hamer. it could be Hamer. Hamer Hamer goes to Jacob in order to, you know, have a conversation around a price. And I can't imagine that anyone like Jacob would have issues with having a conversation with someone as important as Hamer and figuring something yeah. out, and yet they all get killed. I feel like there's a significant possibility that Simeon and Levi went rogue. We get to that. You're going Ooh, a little yes. bit sorry, ahead sorry. of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. But um it's really honestly I didn't they don't speak about whether or not Simeon and Levi um you know did it premeditated but that's a super awesome thought process because I really like that and honestly gives the next part a little bit more meat oh that's just like when Heather was like remember when the Tower of Babel was so that people could be closer to God and I was like (laughs) what do you mean that's beautiful (laughs) yeah yeah um okay so basically the story that i just kind of told you guys is all in the bible but it's also super similar to the way that the red tin kind of tells the story there was a love story they were in love they wanted to just live their best life and then the brothers came in and fucked everything up the bible leans totally into the fact that um shakam did in fact love dina but they also kind of leave it open to interpretation that it could have been rape and essentially kidnapped from her family it's not like she went to town specifically looking to start a relationship with the prince. It was kind of like she was in there. He saw her. He kind of was like, a yoink, let's go back to my place, sis, and we'll do the dirty. So historians believe that this has been skewed as history has gone on to make sure that everyone knew that having relations before marriage was bad. Having a relationship with a man before getting approval of the males in your life is bad. And that essentially all women are property to be bartered with. But I refuse that truth, and I just want to make it to where everyone knows that it's utter bullshit for women to be considered property, and just let us fucking live our life, you know? Just let us have our time. But that does answer the question that Heather had of, like, what is the point? So it sounds like it's meant to be a cautionary tale of, like, this is what happens when you don't get permission. Yeah, it's, it's, at least through history, it's been skewed to kind of be like this cautionary tale of like women like, you shouldn't go places alone. You know, it's your fault for going to town. It's your fault for needing to leave the safety net of your brothers and father. What was she wearing? Yeah, I was just going to say. Totally gross rape culture backup, you know? But back to Simeon and Levi just being dicks for a second. So they plundered and they ruined Shechem, the city, for everyone. And then they return home with Dina. And they're like, Dad, look what we've got. We've got Dina. I've also murdered a whole city of males, took all their goods, wives, and children. Interesting. Simeon, sorry, Simeon and Levi murdered everyone alone? or Yeah. Yeah, no, it says that they went through town. Literally, I just picture them each with a sword, just like got like Game of Thrones mm-hmm. s, just yep. like ripping through. I mean, everyone. even people who were disabled by circumcision recovery—that's impressive. I mean, yeah. I don't want to give them like a buy, but like, damn, girl. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, give me that mini series because yeah. it probably would be like a little red wedding ish. Oh like, yeah, to yeah. go <laughs> through this town. Um. But yeah, so they show up and they're like, Dad, look at what we did. We've got all these women and children now that are ours. Like, we've got, you know, all this stuff. And Jacob is just like, 
you did what the fuck and rages loses his absolute shit on his sons and they and says to them you've brought trouble onto me by making me odious to inhabitants of the land the canaanites and the parasites my numbers are few and if they gather themselves against me and attack me i shall be destroyed both i and my household so basically being like you have brought trouble to my doorstep what the fuck? We cannot fight our way out of this. And then Simeon and Levi are just like, should he treat our sister as a harlot? And just like walk off. And the answer to that question is yes. Yeah, you should have left your goddamn sister alone and let her be a harlot, you fucking asshat. Or literally just ask her if she's having a good time. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sorry, because I, I, not to be too patriarchal rape culture about it but i do think that there's a possibility based on the way that the story is phrased that dina was never into any of this and that shechem was like you're mine now and she was like um i can't really say no and that he you know raped her or you know in in some way coerced her into being in some form of relationship with him and that simeon and levi were getting revenge on a legitimate grievance that dina had but even still, that's a politically very poorly calculated grievance because if you slaughter a bunch of people that are hosting you on their land, like maybe maybe leave first or plan to leave soon and definitely talk to your sister to get her opinion in any case because maybe you don't know how she was feeling about the whole ordeal. Okay, so I wanted to stop there kind of in like the biblical story because this is kind of where I went into some different ways that historians have taken on the raping of Dina for the past, for the past, for the past, for the past several thousand years. The idea was always that Genesis 34 is told as a way to foreshadow the future prophecies and happenings of Genesis that include two violent brothers throughout kind of a the Genesis series there seems to always be just this reoccurring theme of brothers being shitheads so others feel that the act of defilement was added later on because at the time that the bible was written women that were not married or betrothed could not actually be defiled because they held no value until they were married or betrothed so therefore you can't rape somebody who doesn't have any value Mm -hmm. Because the only time you can rape somebody is when they are valuable. Oh my god. God. (laughs) And really, what the whole point of the story was, was to show that intermarriage and intercourse between someone who was an idol worshiper versus a god worshiper was impure. So the point of the story was not that they cared that their sister had sex with this man, but that she had sex with somebody that was not of ethnic purity. Mm. So it kind of goes to what who was it? Rebecca, I think, who was talking about Esau's wives and who were Hittites and how she was like, I can't fucking believe that you're dealing with all these Hittites. And so Simeon and Levi were like, you guys need to try your hardest to be, uh, I think Jewish people or Hebrews just in general. Yep. Uh, but you can't be Hebrews because the Shechemites are not Hebrews. Oh, it's actually racist. It's not just sexist. It's also racist. God damn it, you guys. Yeah, I know. It's all the things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of historians are like, this is one of the first signs of where people go back and use, like, you know, the kind of white supremacy type thing. Like, it can all kind of go back to these kind of teachings as, like, a way of, like, 
proving it out. So I thought that was gross. <laughs> Wanted to share that. <laughs> so gross. And honestly makes Simeon and Levi even worse. Um, okay, so also in the in Midrashic literature, okay, Midrashic literature, rabbis hypothesized that Dina was actually pregnant with Shechem's child and that this child was impactful to future stories in the Bible. Within these theories, they also actually blamed Jacob for the misfortune of Dina's life, stating that when they were coming upon Esau when we were going home, Jacob insisted that Dina be hidden in a box. The fear was that Esau would want to take her as a wife, and God said that Jacob was naughty by saying, If thou hadst married off thy daughter in time, she would not have been tempted to sin, and might, moreover, have exerted a beneficial influence upon her husband. And again, because he had taken all of those wives that Rebecca, like, she would have been a pure wife for Esau. I'm sorry. Because Jacob didn't allow it to happen because he was trying to be smarter than the plan that God had laid out and he put his daughter in a box. Then God let Dina go and be tempted and that if he would have just followed the path that God had laid out, then all of this could have been saved. None of this would happen. Because she didn't marry her uncle. Which is implicitly the concept that women should consent to marriages that are extremely disadvantageous or uh, ridiculous for their age groups and everything. I'm still honestly not convinced. Like, I have seen too many screenshots of Tinder where some very weird man is like trying his best but also is coming on way too strong mm -hmm. to like really think that Shechem is like a 100% sterling guy but also what the fuck bible yeah 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 no I'm totally like middle school girly in the story and just wanting to make it all like rainbows and unicorns of it I'm sure that they're absolutely I mean just based on what we know about how women were treated in the bible I'm sure that you know, she wasn't given a fair shake of like choosing the way for it to be and stuff. But all in all, one thing that can be said from it is that he was madly in love with her and was going to do anything to make sure that she was comfortable. He wanted to treat her well, as well as a woman could be treated in the times, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and like marrying Esau would have been such a weird uncomfortable age difference aside terrible situation yeah yeah not the way gross her own father does not get along with esau very well at yeah. all yeah yeah but like take my daughter you know okay so the whole shechem mess has happened and she is like what the fuck have you guys done what the hell and she goes to her brother, Simeon, and is just, like, freaking out on him. And he's like, sister, I got you. And he promises to find her a husband. She's obviously a little untrusting. But eventually, she does get married off to Job of the Book of Job. Hmm. And then her has a daughter by the name of Asenath, Asenath, whose father was Shechem. And then that becomes the wife of her brother, Joseph. In the later stories. Wait, what? So Joseph married his niece? Mm-hmm. So there's another niece-uncle marriage? It's really not that unusual to have a really significant age difference. It is a little unusual. I mean, 
I mean, I guess I don't know whether... I mean, that's kind of Egyptian-esque. Yeah, and, like, I know that um, with the Romans in particular, they understood family to be through the father's line. So, like, you could marry your first cousin, like Queen Elizabeth did. You could marry your first cousin if you... If it was, like, your mother's sister's kid, because you Mm -hmm. would both come from different father lines. So, like, Mm -hmm. the cousin Mm -hmm. thing wouldn't necessarily matter... And age differences were very common in ancient marriages where much, much older men would marry much, much younger women. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess it kind of depends on your definition of incest and the way that you understand those marriages to happen. I mean, it doesn't make it a lot better, but... Yeah. Anywhere that I looked on Dina, it doesn't look that she... It's said that she ever had children with anybody except for Shechem. Shechem? Shechem? Shechem. 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 Um, but the question is, is whether or not it was Asenath, she marries Joseph, or another Midrash implicated that she, in fact, would not leave Shechem until her brothers found her a husband. So Simeon himself married her so that she would not be a shamed woman. They did not have any relations. It was literally just so she would be protected and then be able to have her son, Saul, who was then mentioned in the text later as son, as Saul, the son of the Canaanite woman, and is listed as an inheritant of uh, Simeon's lands. So when we get to Simeon's story down the line, and his lands are then split between his sons, part of his lands are given to somebody named Saul, who's not his son, and is just the son of the Canaanite woman. But they don't say who like the, that woman is. So the thought is, is that in all future mentions of a Canaanite woman throughout this part of Genesis, that is an actuality referring back to Dina. Oh. Okay. So Simeon's children, or Simeon doesn't have children, but his sister takes, inherits. He will have children by his wife. He has wives and he has children. But then for some reason, they just all of a sudden mention Saul, son of the Canaanite woman, also has rights to Simeon's land. So kind of to explain away why all of a sudden there's this weird dude, Saul, that nobody talks about. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, then maybe Dina's the Canaanite woman. Mm. And she became a Canaanite woman by being married or at least defiled by Shechem. So mm-hmm. Dina had a daughter and a son? So it's two different kind of ways of the story. Either she had the daughter by Shechem and that um Shechem. Shechem. and that is who goes on to marry Joseph and that's how her line goes or another version of it is that she is actually becomes the Canaanite woman that's mentioned throughout the rest of the Genesis mm-hmm. and that um basically she loses her identity as Dina and is now just mentioned as the Canaanite woman because she's gone through this whole defiling process and basically has a child out of wedlock but then that child is then protected by her brother, Simeon, mm-hmm. because of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And Simeon wants to make it up to her that he murdered her lover and his mm-hmm. entire right. family. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But no matter which way you want to read, <laughs> Dina's getting fucked in this and she had to go back home to be with her brothers and mother. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. She got fucked and had to go home. 
So um, she's not called out in name in any of the future readings that I can find, but it's assumed that she is still traveling with her family. And so while they now had to leave Shechem because they basically burnt the fucking place to the ground and were like, peace out. Rachel has fallen pregnant again and they are coming upon Bethlehem and she has begun her labor. And it suddenly is turning difficult and things are not looking well. And suddenly Rachel's like, oh shit, I'm cursed. And all this is coming back. And a midwife is called in and she is trying to, um, you know, get through the birth. And basically, I literally I wrote down, this heifer has been cursed to die by the mouth of her own husband. And now she's on the side of the road giving birth. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I wrote in my notes. Yeah. This heifer. Um, yeah. Yeah. And while she is birthing a baby, the midwife announces to her that it is a boy. And Rachel's last breaths are to ask that the boy be named Ben-Oni, which translates to son of my morning. But all I can hear when I read that was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> So she she wants her son to be named Obi-Wan Kenobi. We finally get Obi-Wan Kenobi's origin story. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which also, side note, do you think that George Lucas was like, Ben Oni, Ben Kenobi. I can get that. That's exactly how it happened. A little bit of plagiarism. Yeah, that's exactly how it went down. So Rachel's last dying breath is to name her son Benoni, but then Jacob's like, you know what? I don't really like that. I'm going to call it Benjamin, Benjamin, which can either mean son of the right, since he was the only son to be born in Canaan, or it could also mean son of my days, since he was born when Jacob was of such an old age. In Jacob's sorrow for the loss of his favorite wife, he then erected a large monument that is still able to be visited today hmm. outside of Bethlehem. I hate that he changed his name. Yeah, right? From what Rachel wanted. I mean, Jacob's a dick. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, hate no, I mean. <laughs> so, sorry, why was Rachel cursed? Because she stole, she stole the, the idol. idols. Oh, that's right. Where have you been? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I kind of I kind of thought that she got away with that. Like, boom, yeah. nailed it. I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, we took a long time to really mm-hmm. let I mean, for for Jacob really to throw down like whoever has these idols are going is going to die mm-hmm. to then all of a sudden it'd be like, you know, I I imagine it a good amount of time because we had to travel, set up camp, mm-hmm. do a whole murder of a city. I'm assuming a year or two has passed. It took some time. Oh, easily a year, probably a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way the Bible breezes through stuff. Right. And so for it just to be like, you know what, let's take her while she's giving birth. A little, <laughs> a little much on the curse, but I would have thought, a, you know, a good sleep death would have been good enough mm-hmm. for her, but let's do a, a birthing story, yeah. birth, you know. And so... Does Dina have a birthing story in the Bible or is the Dina birthing no. story outside? Okay. It's outside. It's all in, um, I think I said Mishra. Yeah. Yeah. The, the rabbinical oh, Midrash. Midrash. Yeah. Yeah. Midrash. Midrash. Okay. So Rachel's dead. Jacob has 12 sons, one daughter, one remaining wife and two concubines. And they're around Bethlehem. And basically I think that 
kind of tease you up, Mike, for next episode. Jacob plans to reunite with his dad, Isaac, and Jacob wipes the tears from his eyes, grabs his family, and rides off towards Mam- Mamre? Mamre? Mammogram? Mamre. We're going towards the mammogram. <laughs> I think it's Mamre. Mamre. So, that lady and ladies and gentlemen, I'm drunk. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is my little ditty on Jacob's wives and Dina. Love it. Cue your applause. Whew, that's a lot to process. Oh my God. Yeah. Tara, amazing. Great <laughs> yeah. work. So, okay. so really at the end of the day, I, we're kind of talking about a woman's story that may or may not have been consensual in her case, but definitely reflected the overall dynamic of her relationship with her brothers and father. And then a secondary story in which this poor woman was just like, you pissed off your dad, you gonna die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think there's really something to be said about women who die in childbirth as like a, a theme. The kind of theme that I kind of walked away from it is with wanting to go into the wives and then Dina is that they never really got a shot. Like everyone just kept having to fight for any little bit of anything that they wanted. You know, Leah just wanted to be loved. She never got that, even though she was the one who, you know, really gave the most to Jacob in terms of what people gave in value in those type of days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there was nothing. The way I read it was the the only way to be closer to God was to give. I think it was pronounced like the. I didn't purposely put it in my because I knew I was going to butcher it, but I think it's like the the Zarek or something like that, who's basically the representation of like God's words, right. In, in like the travels and stuff and like giving his teachings throughout the land is the, um, and the only way to like get to build value is to give more children to that man. So the, the word can continue to spread through the generations. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she's the only one who was able to give him the, the biggest lineage I mean, the other wives were only able to do two apiece. And, or I guess, wives and concubines. Mm-hmm. So, like, she she was the most valued, yet the worst treated out of everyone. After Rachel in some texts, it says that Jacob m- moves into, instead of going to Leah's tent, he goes to Billa's tent. And is like, this is where I want to be because you were the handmaid to Rachel. And I still want to be to my, my favorite wife. And instead of being with her sister, blood sister... I want to go be with the handmaid and like there's just like constantly just that slap in the face but also the little kind of fuck up of that the whole idea of giving your handmaids and then being able to raise the children handmaid's tale it's Mm -hmm. the whole basis for that whole story of it and it's just honestly reading them this more into the story and then watching the handmaid's tale just gives you such a fuck up on how that could totally that could totally be a way that culture goes with this whole kind of glorification of the bible Mm -hmm. and choosing how we want to live our lives by the words in this text like somebody could interpret it that way and we could easily go down that line and it's just terrifying disgusting well and it is how the world used to be yeah I think that's yep. a really crucial because the way the Handmaid's Tale is written, Margaret Atwood didn't lift those standards of life from any given society, but she didn't make yep. anything up 
wholesale, she pieced together a bunch of pieces that were spread throughout history. And obviously she could source that very generously from the mm -hmm. things that she saw in the Hebrew Bible, because that really is the way that women live for thousands of years. It's disgusting. And the way that people lived. I mean, the men too, and yep. not to say that the men had it as badly as the women, of course, but the idea of reproduction being your center of life and depriving you of other forms of agency. We don't really know how Dina felt about any of it. We don't even know if she liked checking back. And that's yeah. such an elementary part of the story. And honestly, how gross it is that, you know, so many people have romanticized that story to make it be better for her. Mm -hmm. But it still doesn't take away that nowhere in any sort of text, even in the, you know, the Midrash and the rabbi tellings, do they ever talk about whether or not she was happy? You know, everything still talks about the men and how they reacted mm -hmm. to her. And it just it just didn't matter. It just didn't matter. Pricks. Men. So. so, yeah. So, I think I stopped at a good spot for you, Mike. I hope that got you through where you needed to get. Yeah, no. Hell yeah. That was awesome. This was great. Okay. So good. Okay. So good. So good. Thanks, guys. So good. So good. Well, so that is the story of Jacob's wives. And I think next time we get started with Joseph. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where I was hoping we would go. Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening. Remember to rate and subscribe and review and do all those things. Please, please rate, review, and subscribe. And please tell your friends. You guys, Mike wants to retire. Mike wants so, like, to retire. So we really got to get this going. Yeah, if we can get this going, please. Yeah. Awesome, guys. All right. Thank you. Love Bye. you. Bye. Bye. bonus segment this was the whole reason why we couldn't record last time our last scheduled day was because i was writing this bonus and i was staying up way too late researching stuff so while i was reading up on dina at the end of the wikipedia article it talked about um dina being a symbol of black womanhood and i had never heard that before and i really wanted to know if that was because i'm super ignorant to like black culture or what so i just kept googling and googling and i went down a fucking rabbit hole oh, yes. so those are the best <laughs> yeah love rabbit holes so basically in the early 19th century dina became a generic term for all enslaved african women when the union soldiers came upon plantations in tennessee during the civil war a slave named lizzie mcleod recounted that they called all the women dina and said so because they were fighting to remove them from bondage at the end of the war, New York Times then encouraged newly freed slaves by calling them Sambo and Dina and telling them to embrace the freedom to work and be virtuous. Sambo comes from the Spanish word Zambo, which means someone of mix between African and Native American descent. And then Sambo became more used with an African mixed with different Europeans, typically more seen in house slaves. Sambo was also commonly used to reference a hardworking African-American male. Typically, they're doing some sort of strenuous labor. So, like, they're the guys who, again, after Civil War, like, the 
freed slaves were doing more of like the like railroad type work, building that sort of thing, building the railroads. Mm -hmm. Um, always in pop culture, like they were like the strong men, right? The like the like racist version of a black man who's like yeah, yeah, like a strapping black man who asks no questions and does a lot of physical Mm -hmm. labor, right? Well, Dina took the route to be more intertwined with the mammy culture that went on to be one of the most well-known characters of African-American women. The likeness of these women were put on anything you can think of from ashtrays, toys, kitchenwares, and food. It was a way for white people to try to showcase that black women specifically prefer to be with their white families and to serve them. They are almost always showcased as being fat and jolly. And... Honestly, the character was was so far from the actual truth, as most female slaves were young and skinny, typically mixed race as well. The Mammy caricature was deliberately constructed to suggest ugliness. Mammy was portrayed as dark-skinned, often pitch black, in a society that regarded black skin as ugly and tainted. She was often obese, sometimes morbidly overweight. Moreover, she was often portrayed as old or at least middle-aged. The attempt to do that was to desexualize Mammy. The implicit assumption was this. No reasonable white man would choose a fat, elderly black woman instead of an idolized white woman. The black Mammy was portrayed as lacking all sexual and sensual qualities, and the desexualization of Mammy meant that the white wife, and therefore the white family, was safe from the harlot that was a black woman. Personally, and especially with the events happening every day and minute around the world, I found this side research really interesting because I was just staying up late reading through all this and constantly flabbergasted. Dina's name was used to hopefully be a way to give women hope, like stand up, break through the bonds of slavery, Mm -hmm. don't let the men hold you down, go for your freedom. And instead, some sick, twisted idiot just began to spin it into his own narrative to develop and create exploitation of them to further their ideals that white people are better. Needless to say, we suck as a whole. People need to continue to educate themselves. Even someone like me who feels like they're sitting in the hand on the pulse of the movement can continue to be taught every day of another way to do better. So we have to open our eyes, see what's going on, listen with your ears to understand what the next steps are. Use your mouth to fight for a better tomorrow and always lead with your heart so we can hopefully make the world a better place. Hell yes. I'll drink to that. Well, and also, I I just really feel like the story of Dina is the perfect example of a story that can be misinterpreted in about a million ways. So many ways. Where this could, as you say, this could be a story that could be so uplifting and it could be empowering and it could be about a woman who's like, you know what, fuck my family. I'm going to go for what I want. We're going to you know, take a a woman from the Bible who seems to have just like followed her own sexual preferences in mm-hmm. what would we what we would consider in a modern sense to be a very basic way. And we're gonna mm-hmm. turn it into a symbol of black womanhood. And then we're going to use that symbol to drag women to drag black women deeper into the mud. It's so just like dark Gross. and perverse. It's, it's a lot like the kind of slave stuff that we talked about earlier with mm-hmm. um, with like skin color and ethnicity in the Noah story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It just, I the reason why I kept reading about it, and I mean, I feel like I, I didn't give you guys as much as I probably could, but it just was so much. And I didn't want to get too preachy, but basically like the reason I kept reading about it was like, 
it seemed like they had used it as a way to almost get trust, be like, hey, listen, we want you to have this freedom. Like, look at this individual in the Bible who just had so much stripped away from her, but like she still probably had a great life and you can have a great life. You just have to be stronger and you can come on the other side of this. And then they flipped it to be a way to keep holding them down and almost put new slavery onto them Mm -hmm. of the slavery of the times of, you know, just how horrible we treated everyone that looked any different from what we considered to be the right way. I just thought it was interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you guys for giving me extra time to keep reading up on it. Clay was sick of hearing about it. (laughs) So. Well, I think. Yes, that was so great. And I, I really feel like the way that we bring the Bible into the modern day or at least the modern era is a really important way that we connect with it on a continued cultural basis. Yeah. No, I think it's the most important part of what we're doing is like calling out the bullshit and also calling out the stuff that's like, yeah, well, that's not bad. Yeah. We can use that. Or like, this is a misconception that people commonly have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Oh. So that's my little ditty. Oh, Terry did oh such a good job. Tara, so that was good. awesome. So good. Thank you so much for listening. Next time we will pick it back up with Joseph. I think Joseph, Joseph and some colors in his coat. Joseph, the dream coat, the colors. We're going to love it. And if it's not Joseph, then thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Yeah.